So I got suspended at my Christian high school for drawing a nipple ring on the shirt. <laughs> and then no. above the other nipple, I wrote suck here. <laughs> <laughs> and and a t- my geometry t- teacher saw it on the cover during class and stormed out of the room, took it straight to the principal. It became a whole three-week you know, true, true crime story, trying to get to the bottom of it where I was like, oh, I didn't do it. And the only person that saw me do it was my best friend. So I was like, dude, just don't say anything. And then he finally, caved under interrogation. Came, they brought us both in the room. <laughs> they brought us both in the room at the same time. And he just goes, all I know is I didn't do it. And I just wish that the person that did do it would just say that right now. <laughs> oh, you prick. <laughs> everybody welcome to another episode of growing up christian i'm sam and i'm casey and casey this this week uh i had the most aggravating thing in the world happen to me I, this is a it, nobody i don't care what your position is on the topic i'm about to bring up and maybe i'll say my piece on it but probably not right now uh i was followed by a cop for 30 minutes on my way to work the other day and it was like all back roads, right? So generally like back roads, I don't know what they're like in Kansas, but around here, the speed limits are too low. Uh, that's just how I feel about it. Going 35 miles an hour, it just feels ridiculous sometimes. And uh, so anyway, this guy's like, I have like a, almost an hour commute to to work. And this guy is all up on my back. Like he's missing a... Uh, one of his headlights is out, which I was just like the entire time I'm watching and like looking at his headlight, that's out, which is obviously notable, right? Because who hasn't been pulled over for one of their headlights being out? So you see that and I'm like the entire time I'm paranoid about getting pulled over because that's just uh, a day ruiner on your way to work. And, you know, I leave early enough in the morning where you would need your headlights on. So I'm watching it like going the speed limit the entire time. And that's clearly bothering him. My guess is it was like um, a shift change right being earlier in the morning and that uh he he might have been off duty or something just taking his his vehicle home so this but. is a this is a cop car with one headlight that's like tailgating you yeah tailgating dude and then when i really slow it down because there's i got to a point where i was just like fuck this i'm gonna go slow on purpose and i'm going like five miles under the speed limit uh and that's when he's just like r- rides up on me backs off rides up on me backs off at one point, he turns his fucking high beams on, just rides behind me like that for a little bit. And I I mean, he was behind me for 30 minutes and I was like 10 and two, like, ah, oh, shit, I'm going to get I'm going to get pulled over going too slow. He's going to tell me I have a taillight out like something's going to happen because he's in a bad mood. Either way, the second like I had the opportunity to get into a right lane to take a right, this guy like blows past me to fly through an intersection. And I was just like. You would never get away with doing that and not get pulled over ever. Was it was it for sure like an active cop car? Was it decommissioned or something like that? Or? No, I, I mean, he he pulled out of the police station. I mean, so no. I'm guessing it was like, <laughs> Ugh. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's just annoying. I hate shit like that. I, I find like, I don't know, whatever. 
my personal piece is I find cops frustrating. I don't care about them. I don't respect them because they wear a uniform. I have a fairly, I don't know. It's not an uncommon stance to have, but I just don't. It's like maybe you were a high school bully and that's when you realized being a cop was a good job for you. I'm not saying there aren't some fine ones out there, but generally I just, I'll never give a, I won't give them the benefit of the doubt. I, and I won't trust them because <laughs> that's fair. If that's they're having a bad fair. day, they can just like <laughs> give you a ticket for some shit. And everybody knows enough. Maybe not everybody, but at least I know enough people who are related to cops where they're like, yeah, there are, uh, there are plenty of cops that just fuck with people on purpose, give them tickets when they weren't speeding and then brag about it at the precinct afterwards. So it's like that kind of bullshit that everybody hates isn't uncommon when they have to like meet a quota and they are on their little power trip. So anyway, sorry for any cops who are listening or people who are married to them or related to them, but uh, that's just how I feel. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I'm i I'm generally skeptical of cops, but I've found that uh, lately anyways, I've gotten pulled over a couple times lately and find that if I'm like super upfront and polite with them, that it seems to throw them for a loop. Like I yeah. got pulled over twice recently for like using my phone while driving. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when you drive like 1200 miles a week, you're going to touch your phone. Like you're yeah. just going to. Not a good driver. And I am distracted most of the time. That's just how it is. But the one guy, he pulled me over and I was like, he, he walked up to the car and he's like, how you doing? I'm like, Good. Uh, what, what can I do for you? And he's like, mm, caught you texting while driving. And I was like, yeah, you got me. Kind of laughed and gave him my stuff. And he went and checked my license and then he just let me go, which was cool. The next guy was nice, but he gave me a ticket. <laughs> Which I deserved. I deserved yeah. a ticket. But I mean, it's not an unreasonable thing to get a ticket for. No one can actually be mad at that. Now, if you had taken out your phone real quick for whatever reason, I don't know. Do you guys have a hands-free law there? Massachusetts, you can't even no. like pick up your phone and put it to your ear and have a phone pick. That's illegal now. No, we don't we don't have rules. Yeah. <laughs> Just no texting and driving. Right. If you were jerking off while driving, that would have been a totally different story. Yeah, I've never been pulled over for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. OK, well, we don't have to go down the cop train to uh, this like cop. What am I even trying to say? This cop rabbit hole too far. But one of the things I did legitimately want to bring up uh, that it was an article this week that, well, it's, a lot of people have been writing about it because pretty big news. Uh, and it's not surprising, a little comical if it wasn't so disastrous, is that um So the article that I have pulled up is from Relevant Magazine, but a bunch of other people have written uh, about it at this point. But uh, it's that in 2019, 19 out of Facebook's top 20 pages for American Christians were run by Eastern European troll farms overseas. (laughs) It's like. Not because it's not surprising. Like you, you see the information that goes around uh, that gets passed around via Facebook. We've all been part of those conversations. Now it's been in the, I don't know. It's just Facebook's had a huge spotlight on it for a good minute now because of the misinformation that's passed through that website now. But this is the, the numbers are notable though. It said um, 
Though they split their efforts among multiple pages, they are mostly operated by the same groups. Collectively, their Christian Facebook pages reach about 75 million users a month, an audience 20 times the size of the next largest Christian Facebook page. Jeez, that's wild. Yeah. And that's so, but when you hear about that, like all these conversations that we're constantly and continually having, and that the entire country is having about evangelicalism and how it like just detoured pretty not again of course we've all talked about the problems of it growing up and stuff like that too but despite all those issues we're very well aware of that fact that it took uh, a serious detour over the past number few years like it just got worse it it went from just having some like shitty rules and bad ideas about how puberty and sex and whatever were it's like and what you should do as a kid and what's okay and what's not blah 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 it went from just like having that component to it which it still does to just backing some of the most asinine things that any of us have seen and and only to find out that that's because at a reach 20 times that of the uh, of the first like legitimate facebook page for american christians um everything they're getting is intentional intentionally designed to pull them in the direction that they've gone. Uh, obviously having nothing to do with faith at all, but just kind of rebranding re- like alt right uh, ideals with uh, like rebranding it with a Christian message, I guess is what they've done. So I don't know. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. It seems like it's generally a lot of like Christian identity stuff. Just like, I will stand up for my Lord and I don't care what you think. That kind of crap, you know, or uh, the ones that I really hate are the ones that are like a story. That's obviously not true. Yeah. (laughs) An old lady was at a bus station and a guy who was an atheist was being really rude for to her. And he said, how do you know there's a God? There's no proof. And the old lady said something really uh, poetic and profound back to him. And it makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and then it gets circulated a bunch, a bunch of uh, just sent from like boomer email to boomer email. Most of it circulated on like on an AOL email at AOL.com address or Yahoo. Yeah. Two of my old Sunday school teachers or one of them was a Sunday school teacher. And then her husband was like uh, an elder in our church growing up. And they had added me on Facebook a while back and I had to block both of them <laughs> because they just continually send me that kind of stuff. Or yeah. like I, I blocked them last year because they kept sending me like conspiracy theories about how the election was about to be stolen or something like that. Okay. Or once in a while, like uh, the, the pandemic is a Democrat plot to get rid of physical change. Oh, like coins. Yeah. That's like, that's like something that they're really animated about at times. Like when you go to the store and they have a sign up that's like no change cat or credit only or something. They're like, they're trying to eliminate cash. It's like, well, cash sucks. Like yeah. that's why <laughs> it's not a concentrated effort. Like nobody needs to try. It's going to eliminate itself because it sucks. Like yeah. I don't want to carry cash. Dude, I spend cash so fast too. Like if I have cash in my wallet and it, 
that's not reflected in my bank account numbers. As far as I'm concerned, that's free money. It's gone. Yeah, spend it so <laughs> It's fast. already wasted. I'm like, oh, I can go spend 60 bucks at the bar now. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> There's this, um, I was at the liquor store the other day, and uh, the guy who owns this liquor store is Indian. And this is relevant to the story. I don't just, you know, randomly find it necessary to throw out people's ethnicities arbitrarily. Uh, yeah, okay. But there is this guy who is in the liquor store who is uh, not in a great mood. I don't know. He uh, was a little bit perturbed about something. and he, They were kind of going back and forth a little bit. I get the feeling he's a regular there because it wasn't didn't sound like a conversation between total strangers. Um, it had to do with the city near me. It's like 20 20 minutes down the road, uh, Worcester, big city, Massachusetts. Uh, apparently I didn't even know about this until I heard him complaining. We're taking in, it was like taking in 300 Afghani refugees. And, um, he was like, yeah, I don't know why the fuck we're doing that. They, uh, they blew up our country 20 years ago. Now we're just going to let them fucking live here. I was like, Oh wow. Okay. You're one of There's the- a smart boy. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy who was working was just like, uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a big deal to me, basically. Like, I don't, I don't recall what he said specifically, but, uh, the guy was just anti, you could, he, he jumped into like, just, oh, we're just letting everyone in here now, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bitch, you're talking to a guy who moved here from another country and had like, started a life for himself here. And you see him probably every week when you're in here buying a couple 30 racks of Bush light. Like, I don't know why you're picking this battle with him, but he was really mad. It's because he has clearly, no one. He has no one in his life. There's no one that will listen to like his insane rants. So he just has to pick random cashiers who are stuck behind a box and can't get away. Like those <laughs> are the people that he gets to vent his dumb ideas on. Uh, yeah. And he's clearly very angry about it. People who are angry about stuff think everybody needs to be as angry as they are. Uh, and so they tell people and they'll, they wait for an angry response when they don't get it. They get angrier. They just are like, even more mad that they can't believe other people aren't as livid as they are. Um, he probably just got done like mainlining Michael Savage, like straight into his brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that like the simpleton mindset you have to have to think that like, because there is a connection between Afghan. It's like when you look at like the terrorist organization that actually, you know, uh, did it now? Okay, for the conspiracy theorists out there, assuming it wasn't an inside job, okay, let's clear the air, right? Uh, I'm not I'm not going to say anything definitively, but um, assuming it's linked to terrorism that came out of Afghanistan, it is interesting that like we went there to fight them because of how it was kind of loosely connected to Afghanistan, and then spent all that time there, flipped everything upside down. And then (laughs) as soon as we leave, everything collapses. And now it's like, he still wants to hold those, like the people who are being oppressed by the, like the Taliban to, he wants to hold them responsible for nine 11. It's like, you really aren't good at story. I I think it's just a person who's generally like, like, um, just, just disconnect content with life. And I think there's a lot of that going on right now. Like, um, you know, I was thinking about it the other day 
And I've had like more people like through work and stuff be like abrasively rude to me in the past year than ever before, than the rest of my career combined. And meanwhile, you know, you're looking at like articles about, you know, uh, I would hate to be a flight attendant right now. Yeah, because no there's just shit. people are going nuts in these Especially planes if you have all to the time. Put them if they're like requiring masks and stuff. People will lose their shit over that. You're def- you're denying my rights. I don't. I shouldn't have to wear this on here. I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, I'll be as vague as possible because the person who told me it doesn't sound like a big deal to me. Uh, but they're not supposed to share this information, and pe- it's not supposed to be available to the public. And they pay out to you know keep people from talking about it and it's making it sound like a bigger thing than it is. And it's just not that big of a deal. Here we go. Now that I've set it up, uh, my friend works for an airliner and they occasionally have to ground flights because of people getting irate. And he said the amount of times that that's happened over like people refusing to wear masks and then getting really angry and refusing to cooperate. They've had like, just in the like they had to ground a number of they've had to ground a number of planes for that and have that person get like arrested in some like random ass state while everybody else is totally inconvenienced by it and it's like it's and it's always started with i'm sorry sir you have to you have to wear a mask on and then i just flip the fuck out and of course i sir right it's always a sir uh i don't know i don't know why i don't know if i'm coming to conclusions i shouldn't but i feel like when you're looking at a lot of the people who would get that upset about wearing a mask it's safe to say it's most likely going to be a man i feel like women are getting women are causing a scene on the ground men are causing a scene in the sky (laughs) i don't have empirical data to back that up but it does seem to be that way (laughs) i'll take it i'll go with it well the poor you know the guy probably literally before he got on the plane, he was on Facebook and the page, let's see, Jesus is my Lord or uh, Light of the World had shared a post about standing up for what's right. Something vague, but inspiring. And boom, yeah, there he goes. Russian bot farm at it again. Are those actually ones from the that are on the list of bots? Yeah. Bot farms. Be this, happy the- and joy life is number one. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, then Jesus is my Lord. Then you can speak loudly. Purpose Number of life. twenty. Light candle for a lost loved one. <laughs> Simply beautiful. Why not us? What do you think that one's all about? Uh, Are they upset that they're not? Part of the I mean, I think they're all about the same 000? thing. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. They're, it's a it's a Jehovah's Witness one, and they're just they wish they were. Part of that 144,000. Okay, so this week, so we did a podcast a while back that hasn't aired yet, but uh, in the middle of the recording, I got a uh, like a ring at the doorbell at like 11 at night because my neighbor's horse had gotten out and it was in the road. Yeah. So he's <laughs> kind so of an funny. escape artist by the sound of it. She, her, her name's Cricket. And hey, that's my cat's name. What's up? There you go. Did your cat escape much? No, not cricket. <laughs> Gambit does. My cat Gambit escapes all the time. Well, so this was the this week was the end of the year for my company. So Friday, I took the day off just to like hang out and do some stuff around the house. And 
been picking walnuts. So I'm like trying to clean these walnuts and stuff and get them ready to dry. And this lady pulls in to my driveway in a van and she's like, she's pretty old. I mean, she's like late seventies or something like that. And she's got a, like a, I think she had a bit of a, like a speech impediment. Like she seemed like she stuttered a little bit when she talked. She's like, Hey, your horse is in the road. I'm like, Oh, great. So <laughs> I, I go up there and we're trying to wrangle this horse and the horse is kind of old crickets, kind of ill tempered. She's not yeah, exactly like my horse. I don't even like petting horses at like the fair when you know, those ones aren't going to bite your hand off, but I don't, I don't trust animals that are big enough to kill me. It's just a general rule of thumb for me. Which makes you more nervous, petting a horse or holding a grasshopper? Ooh. <laughs> I, I I would pet a horse I didn't know uh, with supervision. If someone was there vouching for that horse, I would pet a horse I didn't know before I held a grasshopper between my palms and waited for it. <laughs> I fucking hate that feeling, dude. It gives me that uh, awful feeling inside. So Cricket comes into the yard and she's just kind of like helping herself to apples and stuff like that. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get this horse back into the neighbor's place. And she won't let me get nearer. You know, she'll be better a little bit. Jumped up on it. Bareback rode that bitch over back to the <laughs> right. That's how it would work in a movie for sure. <laughs> but uh, I'm like, OK, well, uh, thanks. Thanks for letting me know. I'll, I'll take care of it, you know, but she won't go and she's just kind of hanging around and asking me a bunch of questions and stuff. And meanwhile, I'm trying to like gather a rope and stuff to like get a hold of this thing. So you could put it in her van. You tried to put the horse in the van. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> what I didn't realize is I was wearing my uh, Christian nightmares t-shirt. Nice. And, I I've worn it in public once, but it's not like I'm not about inviting conversations about this with strangers, <laughs> yeah. right? And like you're gonna get questions if you're wearing a shirt that says Christian Nightmares. So <laughs> we're in the middle of like trying to mess with this horse, and she like like pushes paws on the whole thing, and she's like, "What? What's your T-shirt mean?" And I was like, "Oh." I was like, well, uh, it's it's a friend, uh, you know, my friend runs a website and it's, you know, it's just it's his company. She's like, what does it mean? I'm like, it's just it's just a website. And she's like, is it a website about nightmares? And I'm like, just I'll I'll it's not for you. I'll like convert back to Christianity to make this stop. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, no, it's just he talks about like televangelists and things like that. And she's like, are you an atheist? <laughs> it was just it was terrible. And so uh, I just decided, I'm like, I'll just, I'm just going to pin the horse up in the yard and I'll take him back later. Thank you for stopping. Here's some apples. Please go. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't you didn't confess. Uh, you didn't bear your testimony to her. No, I tried to be real vague. Yeah. Not about to have a, you know, conversion experience with a random old lady <laughs> while her kid sits in the back seat in the hot car. Her kid? You said how old? The kid's like 32, but in a car seat. <laughs> right. Just some weird. That's like some weird horror movie shit, right? Where they just uh, keep treating this adult like a baby and they're just stuck in this psychopathic 
situation. It could very well have been that. Yeah. I don't know. American All Horror right. Story season 12. Oh, yeah. God. Okay. Eternal I'm Grandma. Not, well, okay. I, before we introduce our guest, I am going to mention that American Horror Story was good. It started out great. Came out swinging. Season one. Dope. I gave up on it after like five and that was, I waited too long, but you just, it's an anthology series. So you hope that each season might just like recover. Uh, I don't know what I think the season with Lady Gaga was the last one I watched and that was actually fine, but I gave up on it after that. Cause the premise always seemed whack after that. this, this year. It's like a bunch of my friends have been kind of talking about it because it's, they live in Rhode Island and this, this season is filmed in Rhode Island. So it's just, that's fun. If, if it's if it's always like it's like people from around here love Boston movies because all the shit you see when you go to Boston is in it. And people so anytime like there's a film, a uh, movie that's filmed in your area that just you kind of want to watch. And yeah, they all get to pretend that they knew Whitey Bulger and yeah, yeah, jerk yeah. off to it. <laughs> and um, but this season they did like vampires versus aliens, I think. And it just looks oh. so dumb. So dumb. I don't know how you get to a point where you get intentionally that campy and just it's like they don't respect their audience at all. That's what's fucking <laughs> aggravating about it. Like if you look at season one, it's just a ghost story, like a haunted house story. And it was dope. And now it's that like, one was pretty cool. I watched the season one. Yeah. And that was just all bullshit. But and why would you watch that when you could be watching Black Mass? Oh, my God. We should have talked about that. I haven't finished the season yet. So let's oh, no, I, talk about I'm through five episodes. Me too. I don't even oh. know how long it is. It's so good. Oh, we should talk about that next week and then just have a spoiler alert at the beginning of it because that show is fucking unbelievable. Yeah. If uh, if you don't know what it is, it's a new show on Netflix. It's made by the same people and a lot of the same cast that did Haunting of Hill House, which was excellent. Yep, and so the good. haunting yeah. of Bly Manor, which was, which was good, and so yeah, far like Black it. Mass is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people like us love it because of the religious themes too. But that can be bad. That can go south quick. It can be cheesy as fuck. It can just sometimes people like incorporate religious themes because it can be creepy and they want to. I don't know. It, it can be lazy and dumb and executed poorly. But this show. The person who wrote this knew nails it Christian or American Christianity inside out. Yeah. Like the use of verses and the, and the like mindset that they walked through and stuff during the sermons, like that person grew up in that environment for sure. Yeah. But it's also one of those shows that it, it it's critical of that, but it's not, it doesn't, doesn't like shit on the idea of people's personal faith as a whole like it i don't know it kind of dances between like ev- every kind of aspect of of religion and faith so and while being creepy and fun and interesting so everyone should definitely watch that if they haven't all but we should go ahead and introduce our guest brent lydick man we say this all the time we always are like this was a great guest we had a lot of fun talking to him. I'm sure you'll hope you enjoy this episode. But I loved talking to Brent. Absolutely loved it. I, he's been one of my favorite people to talk to so far. Uh, there's like, there's, there's always a lot to connect on with our guests, I guess. But with the except of, you know, we had Andre on last week, and I loved his story. I have 
there's no religious component and I've never been to jail. So that it's like, that, that's super interesting to me. But as far as like feeling like you really connect on a personal level with the, the guest, uh, I loved having Brent on Brent is first, um, feature film is coming out October 12th. It's called spirit quest. And it's kind of just like a, you know, a buddy comedy. You go out into the woods, uh, not the woods, like the desert, you trip, you have your come to Jesus type experience. And, um, but you know, he directed this, he wrote it, um, he starred in it, he produced it. He, he did the entire thing himself and then got it picked up by the production company. So it's coming out October 12th. Uh, it was great. We had a lot of, we were able to watch it uh, before having a conversation with Brent about it, um, which was, it was great. Uh, and, you know, he put his heart and soul into this thing and, and he did a great job with it. I think everyone will, everyone should definitely go ahead and watch it, support him, support what he's doing, support independent films, right? Give it, rent it. Uh, like I said, on October 12th, it'll be available pretty much on all VOD platforms, I think he said. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Just absolutely had a great time with him. And that being said, enjoy our conversation with Brent Leidick. <music> Sam, temperature's dropping. Leaves are changing. I think we're well into the fall season. Yeah, uh, well into it. And the fall season where I live in New England is a premier destination point. Uh, It's a lot of people's favorite time of the year here. And it also happens to be my favorite time of the year. And what's better on a crisp fall morning than a great cup of coffee? If you're a coffee enthusiast, you're going to absolutely love Captain Cecil's Coffee Roasters. Captain Cecil's is a Massachusetts-based artisan roastery born out of a love for the sea and a passion for great coffee. They offer a rotating menu of carefully crafted single-source roasts and blends tailored to the season. From the light, fruitful notes of empty gold to the nutty banana bread warmth of Nobska, there's bound to be a cup of Captain Cecil's that's perfect for you. Empty gold is honestly uh, an incredible coffee. Uh, that and another one of my favorites is 19 miles at sea. Uh, 19 miles at sea is a little on like the kind of caramel nuttier side. And then, uh, empty gold is a bit on like the fruitier side. And I, I, I personally just don't like dark roast. I like a light to medium roast coffee. And those two are fantastic. Like huge hits at my house. And we would have friends over and I, you know, brew up pot of coffee and everyone raved about it. It's a big hit. I mean, they're just absolutely delicious. Nobska's definitely been the hit at my house. We absolutely love it. On top of great coffee, Captain Cecil's is committed to caring for the beautiful northeastern shore that they love so much. 10% of all sales go to organizations like the American Lighthouse Foundation, who ensure the preservation of the historic New England coastline. So if you're ready to welcome that autumn breeze with a warm cup of Captain Cecil's, visit CaptainCecil'sCoffee.com. Enter the promo code GROWINGUPCHRISTIAN at checkout to receive 10% off your first order and free shipping on orders over $50. That's CaptainCecil's.com, promo code GROWINGUPCHRISTIAN. Hey everyone, we're back with our guest, Brent Lydic. Uh, writer, director, producer, actor for the movie Spirit Quest, which is coming out October 12th. Is that right? I didn't write these notes down. That's right. All right. So, Brent, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I'm super excited to talk to you. I feel like there's a lot in common here. 
I think so too. I really appreciate you guys uh, bringing me on. This is gonna be fun. Yeah. Why don't we? Uh, you know, I'm trying to think. Should we start with going over the movie a little bit about the movie before we get into who you are? Let's, yeah, that sounds uh, good. Let's do that. Usually we save all the plugs for last, but uh, we'll start here. Maybe we'll visit again, and then. Uh, but yeah, so double why don't you go ahead? Yeah, I've seen plug. that video. Perfect. <laughs> Is it like uh, two girls, one plug? Oh no, two plugs. <laughs> um anyway so yeah brent why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about uh the movie spirit quest give us a quick synopsis sure um yeah spirit quest is a uh independent uh kind of buddy comedy it's about two guys uh who go out into the desert and take hallucinogenic mushrooms and uh kind of go on a uh, a crazy trip through the desert um and yeah, I mean, it, it's supposed to be kind of weird and, and metaphorical and, and, and that kind of sense about, you know, just growing up and becoming an adult and trying to, uh, you know, deal with everything that you've been told leading up to becoming an adult and then kind of figuring out, you know, where you stand as, uh, as, as you keep on moving through life. Yeah. And you uh, did this movie with your like a, this is a real life friend of yours, right? So actually, no. I mean, he is now. Yes. Oh, but, crazy. Um, Tip, who uh, Tip Scary, who is uh, the other. And that's lead. his real name. That's his real name. That's Unbelievable. An name. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he's just a buddy that I met in UCB, which is an improv studio, improv classes. So we met back in 2014. We did you know two classes together. And then kind of went our separate ways, as a lot of times in, you do in, in L.A., especially in this business. You kind of go from project to project. Or, and then I, I had done some other stuff. He was doing some stuff. And I wrote this. Initially, Spirit Quest started as a short film. Okay. Um, and so I had written the first, the first chapter, the first 12 to 15 pages. Um, and, and I sent that to him and uh, was like, dude, do you want to go do this? Take two days, go out to the desert, do this short. And it kind of snowballed from there. We shot it uh, and, you know, we shot the short and then we just kept kind of figuring out, all right, well, where can we take this? And, uh, and then we're able to kind of outline a whole feature version. Took, took six months after the short, after we finished and wrote a feature film and then went out and shot the rest of what is Spirit Quest. Okay. So did you shoot, so you shot the short and then did you... Did you end up like putting that out there or did you was the did the short get wrapped into the feature film? So so we did we did put it out there, you know, I I've, I've been out in Los Angeles for 16 years now. I moved out here as an actor um and quickly found out there's like really two routes, right? You can be a, a waiter or get some other kind of part-time job and then just try to figure it out, get auditions or you can get into the business any way you can and try to meet people, network, and start figuring it out. So I went that route, started PAing, and I worked in casting for a really long time. I mean, I cast, we could talk about this too, but I cast a, a ton of uh, reality shows for, for 10 years. I did yeah. a bunch of MTV's dating shows, like Dismissed and Next and Parental Control. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all of those are such classics. Dismissed. I remember watching that. So I think... Uh, we established before we started recording, you're a little bit older, maybe five or six years. Ahead yes. Of so watching, I, watching like dismissed or next or whatever, that was the shit that I watched. Like when like my mom would take my younger brother to baseball, I'd just throw an MTV and watch all that shit. And it's like, 
It was even then you're like, this is insane. And it's, it's so entertaining, so funny. And, uh, MTV had its like, had its moment for those like dating reality shows. Oh I God. Well, you are, uh, you guys are welcome because yeah. I, <laughs> I, I cast, uh, the last two seasons of next and I did a season of parental control. I mean, it was just, it was What's just it like nuts. casting that I gotta uh, know. Okay. So <laughs> we're, we're detouring on this. We'll come back. Let me let me start let me start with just the begin the end of there it came to a point I did I think 10 years of, of, of reality casting and that was kind of like how I was supplementing my income and, and then acting you know whenever I can and still writing and, and doing all that stuff and then finally like it got to a point where I was like I will never take a reality job I was doing tattoo or tattoo nightmares and <laughs> they asked me to go down to South Central and to do interviews and to bring my uh, an, another woman associate casting associate with me down there to interview these guys that had no licenses were getting tattoos out of their garage and like no no hygiene and the direction was get these guys to fight on camera <laughs> cuz that's what they want to see like on tele like on these shows so like it just got I was that was the last job I had I quit and I said, I'll never take a reality job again. And I didn't. I really didn't. I didn't have to. I ended up finding some other work and got into more producing side. But dude, so going back to the beginning, the MTV, the MTV honestly, it was fantastic because I'm, I'm brand new to Los Angeles. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. my early 20s, 24, 25. And every three nights a week, I'm doing open call casting sessions at bars and clubs all around Los Angeles. So we'd go and set up a corner in the corner. We'd set up a camera and then have a team of like three or four other people go out and just be like, hey, do you want to audition for this show? And then they would come back <laughs> oh, and they would just do this audition on camera right there in the bar, you know, and then and then also too during the day, people would just come to MTV all day long and just be on camera. But it was all like we had a team that would go out called recruiters. And was just approaching people. If you guys came to LA, I guarantee you, both of you, you would be approached by, if, if it was 2008, 2009, you both would be approached by, hey, do you want to be on this reality show? <laughs> really? Because so, there's just people walking around all over the city looking for you to come be on the show. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that are there kind of for that purpose, isn't there? Like, I mean, oh, yeah. there's, there's people that are just like anything to get on it. There has to be a balance that you're looking for because you want somebody a little unhinged, I would imagine. Oh yeah, yeah, but for sure. And well, I'm especially sure you get once the polar opposite too. Oh, dude, I mean these interviews, unbelievable. I don't know if you guys remember a show called Baggage with Jerry Springer as the host. I think so. So this was I a don't. dating show, and three people would come on, and they would they would reveal like a piece of like embarrassing baggage that they have that they would bring into a relationship. So I would interview these people and then unwarranted coming in and telling me the most bizarre, like embarrassing, like dirty secrets. It's just like, just on camera, no prompting, willing to come in and just give you this about themselves. <laughs> oh man. And so you just had a talent for bringing out the worst in people. Well, I like to think of it as it's bringing out the best in people because it's getting them to tell those things and to, you know, to, to be having fun about it, right? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Let me tell you this about the reality television guys, and I hope this doesn't burst any bubbles, but none of it is real. Yeah, um, yeah, I would imagine. So, so, like all of those shows were, we would feed lines. None of like some of the parents on parental control were not the parents of the people on the show. Oh like, man. And, and and I'd say probably 80% of the people that you saw on those shows and continue to see on reality television are just out here trying to be actors. Yeah, it seems like a bad place to get your start now. I mean, or yes. then. I don't know that I don't it's like getting it's like yeah, maybe a notch above doing porn to get into the industry, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's so crazy and now too with like the influencer fame and TikTok star. I mean, that so now it's like people are going on these reality shows and then they're getting millions of social followers. And it makes me just so sad because I put my heart into Spirit Quest and I, nobody, no, not nearly as many people are going to see that as what we're seeing on The Bachelor or whatever. Right, right. You got to do something controversial, man. I know. I yeah. thought I, I tried. <laughs> you just like uh take the paul approach and like videotape a dead body or i know oh something. do burnouts <laughs> on turtle nests or something yeah i mean so uh, so after after reality it didn't get much better because i then went and started working in for the internet i was started working for the internet i worked at a place called break media um and was doing tons and tons of like you said dude had jake paul and his brothers on all the time they can't they <laughs> just dealing with these guys and you're seeing it's just it's unbelievable it's it's there's the craziness that you're seeing is real it's un it's unbelievable is that like break.com is that yes break.com i don't think it exists anymore but i worked there and uh did a show called man at arms which was guys building weapons blacksmiths yeah i've seen yeah. that oh that's awesome. actually pretty cool that's so dude i actually uh was the ep director and uh i did over 100 episodes but dude i, I spent I spent over a thousand hours in a forge, like that's oh sick. yeah, in a blacksmith shop with these guys. I just like you just never, I never ever would have thought that's something I would say to people. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's just is, crazy. Is this is that the show that um occasionally would do some weapons from like films, like fantasy yes. stuff, like Lord of the Rings and stuff? Yep. Okay. That, okay. That yeah, was yeah. it. So we would we would just do we would just do weapons from movies, video games, and okay. television, and um and then you know we did it for five seasons and then it was picked up for El Rey. Robert Rodriguez, uh, you know, is a huge director. His company, El Rey, bought it and they did two seasons um, and they made all historical weapons. So it was really cool to see like cool. the show that we got really popular online and then kind of see it just keep on keeping exploding. And the guys are still making episodes and they're doing, they're, they're amazing. They're unbelievable. That's cool. Yeah. Did you ever try your hand at blacksmithing? They ever, I mean, uh... while I was there, right, I, I, I would try to like, have them teach me stuff, but you just realize it's extremely dangerous. Like this, it's, it's every day they're putting their health and their lives at risk, dealing with fire and like temperatures that you can't even melting, you know, molten, molten steel. It's just so fascinating. Yeah. Now one of those blades breaks like under tension or whatever. It's scary, scary, scary. Would that happen sometimes? Is that have you seen it on the show, or you, is this just something you're? You know, uh, it, it it has it has happened. I mean, there of course there's tons of safety precautions on set, and we've got a medic. We've got we've, we're doing everything we can, but but it, you can't control liquid metal. You can't do it. You know <laughs> what I mean? And the hammer and the force of these steel power hammers, 
I mean, literally, they would show us like if you put your hand under there, your hand would disappear in mist. Like it's that powerful. So we would you'd have you'd have metal flying off in certain parts, and there's some parts of the of the process that you just can't be in the room. You know what I mean? Uh, luckily, we didn't have any major major instances uh, or anybody get hurt on all seasons. So knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> So you, uh, so after that, you like, so how'd you end up getting into UCB? How'd you go from reality to kind of the, the comedy improv world? So, I mean, so, so since, like I said, when I, when I first moved out, I, uh, to be an actor, I mean, I've wanted to be an actor, um, since I was a little kid, I've never wanted to do anything else. It's, it's, it's what I've told everyone. This is what I'm doing. Um, Did you ever think about starting with, uh, Adventures in Odyssey? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm glad you brought it up, but that's, <laughs> but probably probably why I am, fell in love with stories. I mean, I listened to Adventures of Odyssey until I was probably 18. I mean, I listened to it every night before I went to bed. Had it yeah. on. It was the thing. Like I, we weren't allowed to watch TV before. You know what I mean? We had, and it wasn't allowed to have TV in my room. So it just became the thing growing up. Like I had to have something on, and it was Adventures in Odyssey, dude. Uh, my, you know, it's great. My dad, cause my dad worked for focus on the family, which did adventures in odyssey. Yes. So, uh, he worked for them for 22 years. So, I mean, wow. he, he was working for them right after I was born. Um, so I, I was born here in Pasadena and that's where focus, uh, was started. And so we lived out here. So odyssey was a huge, huge, my dad got to be, um, he got to be on one of the episodes. He, uh, he played like, I don't know if you remember, did you guys listen to the show? We're, Some, yeah. I'm slightly familiar with it. I didn't listen to it a lot. We had some of like the tapes, whatever. Yeah. My parents would throw them on in the car. Like, the so book, I, man. I, I didn't have, yeah. The book. I didn't have a lot of them and I didn't <laughs> listen to a bunch, but there was like a few that were on ro- rotation for a minute. And then my, my dad got to do an episode. He got Oops. to do an episode and I got to go in and like to the, where the recording booths and like, you know, they built like a, at Folks on the Family, they built like a, a, a wits end. You know what I mean? So it was just, it was a huge, huge part of my childhood. And like I said, probably one of the main reasons stories and like telling stories became such a huge focus and passion of of what I wanted to do. That's cool, man. It's funny that like, it's funny the impact that weird things like that can have on people, like that to get you interested in, in story, right? Because they are, I mean, despite, you know, I'm sure you can go back on it. I, I I'm so unfamiliar with it. And when it comes to the, I, I don't know how much of a spiritual agenda Adventures in Odyssey had. I, I don't remember that at all. I mean, really, um, really. I mean, it was a huge agenda. It was, yeah. it was the whole thing. And to the point now, I mean, is back and forth, like listening to it now, I would have a hard time. I would have a sure. hard time sharing it with my son, having him listen to it. I think now would be, would be hard for me just because yeah. of the themes and everything that they're, that they are. But at the other end, dude, unbelievable storytelling i mean they did a great job mm-hmm. and like super imaginative and like not all of it was biblical there was tons of like old west and like they went into tons of genres yeah so you can't i mean and it was done by professionals in you know what i mean like people in in hollywood they had a lot of experience in telling stories yeah did uh it's oh, dude my it's funny because you talking about your kid listening to it or whatever and how that's it'd be different like uh, my mom just mentioned the other day when she was over that she, um, she mentioned, Oh, I should find some of the old adventures and Odyssey tapes for the kids. And I, I didn't say anything. I'm like, 
it's not going to happen here. I'm not going to put it on for them. If they hear it at grandma's house, I'm not going to lose a ton of sleep over it here. If it, yeah. But like, I was like, is this a battle? Do I want to say anything? Do I feel like going down this road right now? Probably not worth it. And what's, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, I'd rather them probably hear that than go to, I don't know, some shitty Sunday school or youth group that a friend invites them to later on in life. I don't know. <laughs> no, I would agree, dude. I would say the same thing. I don't think that my, uh, my deep baggage with Christianity and, and, and what we were kind of given, or at least what I was given on a plate, uh, it didn't come from Odyssey, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or at least not, not the, not the majority of it. Right. That's so, cool that your dad got to do it. It's uh, and you got to check it out and kind of see the thing that was interesting, like that you had, listen to for so long though that must have been fun yeah it was awesome so tell us a little bit about how you grew up then yeah i mean so my my dad and mom have basically been in ministry their whole life my dad was at focus for for 22 years um and so you know we were heavily heavily just involved in kind of that I don't, I, I don't, I don't think even they would have classified it as evangelical, but that's what it was. The evangelical world. Um, for sure. Yeah. So we were out here in Pasadena and just fully enthralled and then focus in the early nineties moved, uh, their headquarters to Colorado Springs. So I moved uh, with my family to Colorado Springs. I was about nine and, um, I went to Christian school all the way through K through 12. And I was telling Casey, I did a year of Christian college in West Palm beach. Uh, okay. at a little place called Palm Beach Atlantic. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I remember. I I knew I think I knew someone who went to that school. It's not one of the it's not a uh it's not a Liberty or Bob Jones type nope. of Christian no, no. school by any means. No, I mean they got I was telling Casey they got they got the curfews and like it's not co-ed dorms. Um but dude <laughs> I saw more drugs and <laughs> and partying I there the first weekend there then I did the entirety of three years at Colorado State. And that's when your spirit quest began. And that it's is a, when the quest began. It's a slippery slope, you know? I mean, you do away with the hair code. You let people grow their hair over their ears, and pretty soon they're shooting up in the hallways. That's right. That's right. They're just down there in West Palm Beach. Just who knows? Thank God <laughs> Jerry Falwell protected us. He, he did a good job, man. We yeah. could have been, uh, we could have been strung out in some door threshold, right? You know. Yeah. So, what was your Christian school like? Was it strict or? Oh man, yeah, super strict. You know, uh, I got. <laughs> which which story to tell about how strict? But yeah, no <laughs> no no dances, right? Like no dances. I mean the 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 purity ple- like we signed a purity pledge in chapel. They gave out cards. You know, we were all committing to abstinence. We had nice. chapel once a week. Um, you know, we had prayer and pray, prayer and praise rallies, you know, that were not mandatory, but highly suggested. I got suspended because I don't know if you remember, you put like paper bags over your books as book covers and like, or some people did this, at least it was, was big. Where we, and so girls, they would take their textbooks and cover them in like Abercrombie and Fitch like shopping bags and these dudes have no shirts on. So it's like, they're just wrapping their book and these guys just wearing shorts and they have no shirts on. Pornography. Pornography. So I got suspended for at my Christian high school for drawing a nipple ring on the shirt. (laughs) And then above the other nipple, I wrote suck here. (laughs) (laughs) And 
And a t- my geometry t- teacher saw it on the cover during class and stormed out of the room, took it straight to the principal, and I was suspended. Actually, I, I think I was suspended in conjunction with it became a whole three week, you know, true, true crime story trying to get to the bottom of it where I was like, oh, I didn't do it. And the only person that saw me do it was my best friend. So I was like, dude, just don't say anything. <laughs> and uh, and so for about three weeks, this went on and on. And then he finally, caved under interrogation. Caved. They brought us both in the room. <laughs> they brought us both in the room at the same time. And and he did. They did exactly that. And he just goes. All I know is I didn't do it, and I just wish that the person that did do it would just say that right now. <laughs> oh, you prick! <laughs> what a scumbag! So I go, so I, so I, so I said, so you, so I said to the principal, I was like, so you just, if somebody says it, you'll just, they'll get detention, and that's it. It's done. That's what you're looking for. And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right, I did it. You took a deal with a dirty cop, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Should have got that shit in writing first. I know. Dude, people, people don't understand. People that live normal lives don't understand. Like when you are in an environment like that where nobody's doing anything wrong, like the the amount of like blowing things out of proportion that goes on, dude. Like, they turn like the smallest. I we got in serious trouble one time. My buddies and I did for throwing chess pieces at each other. And we had to like pay for a new chess set, which was like seven dollars. And I remember the one <laughs> one of my buddies bringing in a jar of pennies to pay for it just to be oh a, my God. a douche. Dude, you're 100 percent right. I mean, that it drives me it drives me insane. Especially like it's caused me growing up like to overblow and have so much anxiety for doing stuff that is so small and doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I can relate to that so good. It's yeah that I never wanted to do anything wrong. And when I was around people who were, I wasn't a narc by any means. I would never have rad people out. But up until I was like 16, 17 years old, I was so uncomfortable by someone doing something that might be wrong. Yeah. Um, and I remember playing like I was homeschooled. So like mm. I didn't have a lot of social interaction with the regular kids. And uh, but I did do like a rec league basketball. And when I got to see what what the secular kids in town were like, and I was blown away. I was like, I didn't realize that this is the world that we lived in. It's like, yeah. I couldn't have been more than I was like eighth grade, maybe seventh, not even like seventh grade. And that's the first time I'm hearing kids say the F word and stuff like that. And you're wow. Oh my God. Kids talk like this. This is, this is what adults do in rated R movies that I'm not allowed to watch. I can't exactly. Believe <laughs> Did you ever tell on yourself? No, uh, no, no, of course <laughs> not. Dude, this is that you just reminded me though. In seventh grade at the same Christian school, somebody, this girl next to me had a like a digital dictionary. It was like you could type in a word and it would tell you it was before computers. Oh, advanced you know I mean? technology. Yes. I know yeah, what you're talking insane. about. It was before computers. I typed in fuck and <laughs> it got stuck on the screen. Oh, perfect timing. I love the it. Girl, I had to give it back to the girl. She started bawling, dude. She started crying. I got in so much trouble for this. I got in huge trouble for this. Her parents called my parents. Like I had it was a huge deal. Hey, oh so God. you were a bit of a bad kid. I was a bit I, I think I, I would 
I would have viewed you with skepticism, you know? I think you might have. I think you might have. Well, yeah, going back to that same year, the My Christian School also, this is a, this, you're really bringing some stuff up. That's what we do here. We like to trudge up old, repressed memories. So they sent out seventh grade, they sent out a survey to every kid in the class in, in school to, to and they filled they're going to fill this out now. It was like, list the kids, list who you think are the meanest kids in the class. Oh man, that's such they, a bizarre thing to do. They did this, dude. And then they rallied probably the top 10 guys that got on that list. And it was a group that I was in of 10 dudes, like all got called in and like, dude, I, I don't know if you saw from the movie, but a, a I'm I'm a very small man. I'm five six. I was extremely small growing up. I was I, going to ask who if uh, Trip uh, Tip was just really tall. Uh, yeah, he's he, a, a, he looks but, enormous in the movie. The one scene where you guys—it's really the scene where you guys are walking through that doorway, and it's just in the middle of the desert. Yeah, and you two walking right through this doorway together, and I was like, "Oh, there's a size difference here." Oh yeah, yeah. I mean he is—he's like six five. And this, oh, this, and this is my, this is all my friends growing up. Every single one of them was this size. And here I am, I'm five, six now, but like, dude, in seventh grade, I was, you thought I was in fourth grade, you know? I mean, probably like when I was in 10th grade, you thought I was in fourth grade. So I, anyway, back to seventh, I'm so small and I'm getting called so mean and like these things. I'm just, I, I remember I had a kid that was like tip size, I would think. And we're getting into a basketball fight, talking trash to each other. And his parents are calling my parents at the end. This yeah. kid is monstrous. This is a monstrous kid. And he's like, you got to tell your son to stop picking on him. And I'm like, what are we doing here at this school? And this just goes back. And then that was the reason I think that survey went around that year. And they brought us all in, dude. And like, yeah, they tried uh, to split us up. And like, it was, it was fucked up, dude. So you were on the, uh, you were on the, basketball team in your christian school despite your size uh if you're were you like casey's team and you uh played varsity varsity <laughs> basketball i did i ended up playing varsity but i did get cut my freshman year because i was too short my uh the teacher uh, he even just said it he was like yeah you're just not you're <laughs> oh, just man, not the size that. you know like we get we got i'm like all right and then that's not that was, scarring no that wasn't scarring at all it's my freshman year and uh so but then I did I did play the next three years. And what's great is that I played for that coach again on on my junior year. And uh we had problems and the last game of the season he didn't play me. And then we're, the scoreboard, we're up 40 points or whatever. And he's like, All right, Brent, get in. Garbage time. And so I just stood up at the Christian school, took my jersey off, threw it at him, <laughs> walked off the court. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 I do feel I, I mean it was I mean sure immature or whatever but he never coached again after that and so I feel like good you, you should did it. be coaching dude you ended I, his career I'm gonna give that one to you thank you I'm uh, <laughs> uh well I'm five six two so hashtag short kings yeah oh yeah but, you uh, get it dude I played varsity basketball from like fifth grade on and I'm. I'm terrible. I'm a terrible basketball player and I was too short. But I remember like one year, maybe like my junior year of high school, my coach was pretty intense that we had for a couple of years. And it's it's cool now. Like we're coworkers now. But uh I remember he we did these like 
like a sportsman's banquet at the end of the year where mm-hmm. like the girls would get things for volleyball and the guys, they would talk about the basketball thing. We were horrible. There was like eight of us on the team. We were terrible. And I remember he would, he would like say something about every player as he was giving them like their ribbon or whatever. And I remember him like junior year saying, so Casey, um, Casey's not the most gifted athlete. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, just don't say anything. He's a good distraction. He's a great distraction. Yeah. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take my medal now. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, coach. <laughs> this Jeez. is coming from the. This is to be clear. Uh, he told Casey told the story a, a little bit ago, but there's um, not a lot of great athletes on that team because they did have a game where they lost by over 100 points. <laughs> <We> oh. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that, that's a hard thing to do because, like, that, that, that means the other team scored over a hundred points. Like, that is yeah. hard to do. You gotta hustle. You gotta you hustle, <laughs> dude. That's what great. Uh, curriculum did your school use? Oh gosh, I don't, I don't know if I know. Yeah, I uh, wasn't. I mean, we, uh, had, we had Bible class. Um, I don't know if it was like us. I mean, it, it must have been a curriculum that a lot of Christian schools use. I would assume. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, there's a couple out there that I was, I was curious about, but man, so how big was the school? The high school. So we only had 400 kids in our high school. So oh, well, you, you can get out of here with that. That's, yeah. too, that's <laughs> huge. That's a huge amount. It's actually a good size Christian school, dude. I feel like yeah, those no, you're right. are always suffering. No, you're right. Yeah, Col- it's, pretty big. I, it's Colorado Springs Christian and they are, I mean, I think they are like a pretty big or were, you know what I mean? I, I always remember them one of their big pitches was like, oh, it's a really great college prep type place. I don't know. So sure. I if you want to go to Christian college afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, you're right. It was uh, the other schools that were in town. There was like evangelical Christian. They had maybe, I don't know, 150 in the whole high school, maybe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you went to, you went, you went to, a Christian college after high school, but you said you only did one year. Yeah, I only went one year. I left, I went down there. Um, and it was really, I think I just didn't connect with anyone down there. Um, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I can't really say why. Uh, cause I feel like I, you know, uh, it wasn't like, Oh, being in a non-Christian place. I had tons of public school friends. Um, you know, so like playing basketball and sports, um, right. I was, you know, I, I knew the world. Like I, I, I was, so it wasn't about being culture shock or anything like that. I just didn't, I didn't really connect with the people. A lot of the people were East coast coming down from Ohio or upstate New York or Connecticut. And so I think maybe that had some difference. And I, I was, even though like, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't a rat or like any of that pride, but I didn't drink. I didn't drink. I didn't, I didn't drink in high school. Uh, I didn't drink until I got to college, but I didn't really drink down there. So I would go out and go to the clubs, but I'd always be the guy that was sober. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and everybody's part of that too. Especially, especially their freshman year. Most of these people have the same experiences as we've all had coming from Christian high schools or homeschooling or whatever. And now they're in West Palm beach where it's just can be as insane as you want it to be. And that's what kids were looking to do. I think for the most part coming to that school. People yeah. get like very self-conscious when you're the one that's not taking part. Yeah. It's like oh, they yeah. think you're judging them and mostly because you are. Right. 
but you always are like, look, I mean, no, 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 that's fine. I mean, you, you do you. I'm not here to judge you. You're just making it. I will drive you home. I want to make sure everyone gets home safe. There's nothing more condescending than a fucking DD, right? Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just ego boosting for them. Like, oh, I'm keeping everybody safe. Look at me. I'm such a good boy. I'm a Eagle Scout. And it's just like, get out of your head, bullshit. I did the Boots. DD rounds from yeah. time to time my first year or two of college. I didn't drink until I was 21. Then, don't worry, guys. I was a one beer guy because I didn't want to accidentally sin by getting too drunk. <laughs> I don't drink. I don't drink still, really, but only because it uh, it makes me sick. Um, I just have had such terrible experiences, dude. The yeah. first time, the first time I got drunk was uh, freshman year after coming. I, this is I went to West Palm Beach and then I came home for Christmas break and got the first time I ever drank and got drunk was at a New Year's party that people from my high Christian high school were having, and I ended up having a whole bottle of champagne with a buddy. And took six shots of Jägermeister. Oh yeah, that and fuck was you up. destroyed beyond belief. And and that kind of continued every time I had alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> you were a go hard, a pretty pretty big go hard. Now, dude, that first time though, when you because you don't know if you haven't drank yeah. and you're around your party, whatever. Like the first time, you just oh, I'll do one more. I feel all right. I'll do one more. I feel all right. And by the time it all catches up to you, and you don't understand how alcohol hits your system. That first, like, I'm wasted moment of your life is one of the most miserable experiences. You're like yep. laying down, the world spinning. It's just horrible, fucking terrible. Horrible. Yep. I, I'm still. I, I don't know that I've ever been like really drunk, but I get the That's, same thing. Like, if I overdo it, or if I if I get there too quick, like I just feel sick. Yeah. It's and not I'll fun. do anything not to feel sick. Like, <laughs> it's not worth it to me. But. I'm with you, dude. And I, I suffer from migraines already. So an, a, hung, a, a hungover headache oh, yeah. is no thanks. Yeah, that's like a nightmare combination. But so, so yeah, what was, what was like, was there, do you think, was it like an I Because I had the same experience. Like my first year of college, I went from that really small Christian school to a secular school, but like just could not find my niche. Like I tried to hang out with the Christian group and they just like, didn't really want me there, you know, and same thing. I just like couldn't find my niche and was so unhappy. Was it like that sort of situation? For I you? was, dude. I think I was, I was, I was unhappy. And I think also too, going back to the high school and the Christian school that I went to, dude, I developed unbelievable friendships at that school, like that I'm still friends with, you know what I mean? I talked to almost all of the friends that I went to high school with and I hung out with still to this day, you know what I mean? Like, that's cool. So building the such strong relationships in high school. And then I think going so far away and not knowing anyone was just like, it made me really evaluate like, what, what is this worth it? Like I've got all this great stuff back where I came from. Maybe I should just go to college where they all went at Colorado state. And so I think that really was kind of the big driving force was and dude and honestly it was it was very similar in terms of the school like going to class we had chapel there we still had all this messaging coming in that i had just come through from high school and and it was it was 1500 people on campus i just from my mind just came from a really small christian school high school you know where my friends in public schools those schools had a thousand people in their high school and they have like you know there's people they don't even know 
So I think a big part of that for me too was wanting to get out of this bubble and be like, let's let me go to a college that has twenty thousand people, but I also know that I've got like really strong friendships already there. Yeah, I get the I wanting to go to college with a lot of people uh, resonates with me a good bit after being homeschooled. It was just like I, I did a year of community college with the intent of transferring, but I was like I couldn't wait. I was really excited about that experience, being able to meet different people like i don't know i mean i i had a i had a life like I, there are plenty of homeschool kids that didn't but i ended up making friends with a bunch of people who uh they weren't christians either they were they were just like just your regular public school kids that i met through other people and had some good friendship and those are people that i still talk to today and and but i i was a pretty big time goody two shoes so like the idea of going to a christian school i, I got a bible degree so like you know, I, I, that was a big part of mine. So for me, it was like, I was super excited to go and be around a bunch of people like that, where you could have those conversations. Though I was the kind of guy Casey had a hard time fitting in around, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but we managed to become friends in college. Uh, if you want to, maybe not the best of friends, right? We didn't talk for probably six years, but yeah, we, you didn't we, invite we, me to your fucking wedding, even though you think you did. That is not true. We can get, we <laughs> can get into this lies. right now, guys. We yeah. can get into this right now. This is okay. Let's do this. Let's do some healing. (laughs) (laughs) Guide us. Guide us. We didn't take a, we need to take a bag of shrooms first though. That's right. uh, I don't trust you unless I'm high on shrooms. (laughs) So what did you study when you went back to, uh, to Colorado state? I studied, I got my uh, degree in uh, communication and uh, concentration in media. Um, I mean, again, like even going to Palm Beach, I mean, the only reason I went to Palm Beach Atlantic was because, I think I felt like I had to go to a Christian college, you know, uh, my parents were paying for school, obviously. Uh, my brother is four years older than me. He went to a Christian college. He graduated from a Christian college. So I just felt like, I I guess that's what I'm doing. And I think the only reason that they let me go to Colorado state was because it was a state school, you know, and it was in, I I just feel like that's what I, if if I wanted to go to like, I remember at one point I was like, well, I need to go to LA because that's mm-hmm. what I want to do. And I was like, so I looked at Loyola Marymount, which is a Catholic school, a Christian school, kind of. It's in the same way Pepperdine is, but not really. Uh, and, um, but I just remember that not being really an option. So when I finally, you know, I did, I, I, I had all these, I knew as soon as I graduated from college, I was going to go straight to LA to try to try to get into the business. So I, I did, you know, everything I could do at Colorado State, but they just didn't have any programs like for theater really or, you know, they had 101 filmmaking or, you know, film mm-hmm. theory 101. So that kind of stuff. So it was a, it was a disadvantage for sure. <laughs> um, moving out here, I should have come out when I was 18 because uh, it takes, the city is so big. The business is insane. It takes five years just to feel like you maybe can get to an audition. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on time like <laughs> that so. yeah I was, I was gonna ask about that because a lot there are plenty of people who just pick up and move um or maybe they go to film school if they want to do so i don't know what maybe directing or that who do we, we were talking to um scott rogers and he had mentioned that uh doing it's like he just mentioned if you want to direct or something like that going to film school is a good idea if you want to be an actor people going to film school is just like what are you doing going to film school? Like do theater, yeah. like you just mentioned, they didn't have a theater program, but um, it, it is interesting. So you, do you think that you just felt like college was something you were supposed to do? 100%. That you didn't, yeah. Okay. I just, that's what they told us to do. 
It's like, that's what all high, my high school, especially they were so uh, SATs and all this prep and ACTs. And, you know, they did a bunch of preliminary tests for those tests. And like, yeah, <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was college. If I could go back and tell myself, I would say, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure go everyone to told LA. you need the fallback, right? Well, yeah. well, if that doesn't work out, you should have a college degree under your belt. Probably right. the advice you got. hundred <laughs> percent. And I'm just like, yeah, well. So, and now it's not my local. The world is that, and how much a college degree is worth. Oh yeah, yeah. We were definitely was, still part of that that mm-hmm. movement where it was like, well, you got to go to college. Like you don't want to be a loser and not go to college. But no direction on like why or what you should do or anything. Nobody asked you like, where do you think you're headed? Like, what do you want to study? It was just, well, you got to go to college. You just got to get the degree. Just get it so that you've got the paper. You can put it on your resume. Cause I got a comms degree too. And mm-hmm. you know, it's, I don't remember a single thing I learned. No. I mostly just played music and met my wife. That's what I did in college. Yep, <laughs> Worth it. Good. But Chris still. Yeah. I, same. <laughs> I had a great time in college hanging out with my friends. Yeah. I, I yeah. It, no one, everyone's pushing into college. Uh, nobody talked to me out of a Bible degree. I don't know. So I don't. <laughs> well, okay. Did you, where did you get your Bible degree? Liberty university. Okay. At Liberty. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. Yeah. Let me just ask you this because this is just, uh, I, I'm so interested in this. I mean, Spirit Quest, I mean, you guys have watched it and, and we can talk about, but it really is me going like I made this movie and wrote this script at a time when I was finally like looking at everything that I was told mm-hmm. and realizing that it was not true. <laughs> so yeah. I just, I just want to ask like, I went to a Christian school. I was in Bible school and they didn't tell me anything true about the Bible. Yes. So at that, Bible college, did they teach you about the Bible? Dude, it is no. That I mean the quick answer no, no. It was uh it was absolute mostly entirely horse shit. Uh I paid for a degree where I can look back on every single thing that they teach about the Bible and I do not believe that. Um, uh, cause it's all built. Yeah. And it, it cost me fucking tens of thousands of dollars. Right. So you're, uh, it, it all comes from the premise because Liberty is obviously very conservative evangelical. And it's like, it, so it comes from the premise of the Bible is like the literal inspired word of God. Um, so, you know, you're taking creation classes on, and your, your overall GPA depends on whether or not you answer correctly if the earth is 10,000 years old um, or you take um, evangelism. Evangelism is a college credit, apparently. <laughs> Academic credit for fucking evangelism. You should have paid cool. more attention in that class. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so man, it's, you know, and then what, but for me, the kind of the beginning of the end for me uh, when it came to, came to that, when it came to that mode of thinking was, um, maybe my, I, I was starting to entertain new ideas, uh, my junior year, maybe, but senior year, I took certain classes. Like, um, I took a, I had a class on the book of John and a class on Daniel revelation. And they grouped Daniel revelation together because the evangelicals are what? convinced that exactly. They, they, yeah. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you remember that from, uh, your, your, Bible days and they, they group them together, Daniel prophecies and revelation. They think they all tie in together. 
because they don't understand the concept of ancient apocalyptic literature and general themes. So they just go, oh, this looks the same, I guess. And they don't compare it to, you know, any apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature on the outside. But I just remember taking that class and being like, this feels contrived as fuck. I don't think I'm into this. Uh, so I, I wrote all of my papers from like the naysayer perspective, right? So, you know, we're taught as good Christians, the end times are something that's going to happen. Uh, but then that was the first time I was, I, to be fair, they at least introduced me to the concept that the end times was really just AD 70 when like Nero fucked everything up for Christians. Um, which is really interesting and should be talked about. Like (laughs) I was so fascinated when I found out about that, like exactly so much more charged, so much more like involved in wanting to invest in what that, what is that about? Yeah. Yeah. So it, so that's when I was introduced to it. So I wrote everything from kind of that perspective because I was like, this sounds believable. But then also, you know, like my John class, when I have uh, this 1000 year old professor tell you that the wine, that the water that Jesus turned into wine was at least less than 1% alcohol based on. And I remember him using the word photosynthesis. That's not how you make fucking wine, asshole. It's not a process. <laughs> oh, of oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so. I, yeah, exactly, dude. And I just don't, I don't understand this. Like, and and, I, and let me go back to say when I just to clarify a little bit when I was like, I found out that everything was not true. I don't mean in a sense. I mean the interpretation that I was given, mm-hmm. uh, and that is very prevalent in evangelical american evangelical western christianity and i heard you talk about it too sam i think you said like i didn't even know that there were other interpretations that you could have i didn't even know that there were you mean there there are hundreds if not thousands of christian traditions in the tradition of christianity yeah yeah my mind was blown when i found that out or you're taught that they're wrong right Oh, exactly. That, of course, the Catholics, <laughs> Catholics are wrong. And like, this is the only interpretation, which is very yeah. much handedly or was handed, handed to me through, through my parents, you know, who I love and are great, but are so, so ingrained in, in, in this specific interpretation with focus, with the ministry, you know, with the churches that we've been in. Um, so this was just, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've been doing a lot of thinking obviously because I've gone through this whole, I know deconstruction is that huge buzzword right now, but I feel like I was right. doing that before it got really popular and all that stuff. I'm sure you guys too were just looking, but I, I just think that I'm starting to see, you know, as and I grew up that it just how harmful and going back to earlier, just like this interpretation, the literality, the, the certitude and the certainty that we're given can be so harmful uh, yeah. when, when you're, when you're finally growing up and you go through real struggle and real pain and you're an adult and, and you start to yeah. see, it's just like, so I, I just think the thing that the grains me the most and the grades me the most is, is in this coming back with 2016 and really Trump and, and all of that stuff is just, dude, you guys are lying. <laughs> yeah. You guys are lying. You guys, and, and you're not willing to come up with that, you know? So I just think it's just really, really coming to a head. And especially now with where, after the last four years that we had and seeing where the Christian church is, 
it's just oh it makes me so upset yeah what was so was was faith like an important part of your like your personal experience going through junior high high school and and then into college i mean did you consider yourself serious about it i mean i was uh, i was a christian you know i was saved you know i did the altar call multiple times dude you know what i mean going to those big you know, promise keepers, dude. I don't know if you guys remember the power team. Do you yeah, guys know dude. the power team? I never no. had the privilege of seeing them, but they were. Saw uh... them live. Saw them live. Went down with a friend when I was like eight. When I was eight to do an altar call. Some guys ripping a phone book apart and telling me that we're going to burn in hell oh. if I don't come down here and do an altar call. So this so, was like the Lord's force. Like yeah, the, exactly. yeah, yeah. Power team is like the strength guys, and they break bricks for the Lord. And yeah, dude, the the workaholics episode where they have the Christian weightlifting team is yes, yes. one of the greatest things ever. Made. <laughs> yeah, well, dude, you got you got a YouTube power team, dude, because it is phenomenal. Uh, uh, so yeah, so I, but I wasn't. I mean, no, I I I, I was saved, and I would say. I was scared into doing anything. Mm. I was, it was all fear. So I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like I didn't curse. I didn't, I, I wasn't allowed to see rated R movies, dude. Um, I did, I think dating and like, you know, that scene that kind of became, and of course, like it's such a huge topic in Christianity, purity from sixth grade. As soon as we're, I went through the preparing yeah. for adolescent tapes with focus on the family and you got <laughs> it, you know about them. Oh and, yeah, uh, and so it's just like I keep this here for uh, yes, <laughs> oh amazing, amazing. I did the audio version, so we went through the tapes. My dad took me somewhere super Was it Red by Dobson. Yep, Red by Dobson. Yes, I want to hear him talk about masturbation. I need to get my hands. I want to hear Dobson no. talk about girls' feet no. so yes. bad. Like no. <laughs> So it was not so much gets me horny anymore. So I need to talk. I need to hear Dobson talk about dude. Just imagine, feet. imagine, dude. Just you're sitting there. I mean, I'm sure you guys had similar experience. You're sitting there on uh, in a hotel room with your dad, <laughs> and he's making you listen to this tape, and you're both just sitting there in silence, and you're kind of making eye oh. contact with each other. And then I would the rather tape... watch a sex scene at the movies with my parents. That's awful. Uh, awful, dude. Just awful, man. So. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to your question, Casey, I, I don't, I don't think I was like, I wasn't leading praise and prayer rallies. I was being a normal teenager and I was really into girls and like basketball. I, I loved movies. I, I wanted to see these movies, a huge, huge fight in my family to not, they, I wasn't allowed to see it until I turned 18. So, and as soon as I turned 18, the first thing I did was went and saw a rated R movie. Um, but just like, that was the most contention we had in our house I mean, we walked out, dude, we, this, and this is going into spirit quest. Like this is such a huge part of it is like, dude, we would walk out of movies all the time because of curse words or using the Lord's name in really? vain, using the Lord's name in vain. We walked out of Mrs. Doubtfire and I just, am really, I remember feeling such shame yeah. to have to be the family that gets up and out of the whole theater and leaves as your dad is shaking his head profusely about just how disappointed he is that he was tricked again by Hollywood into bringing, you know, his family to his, what's supposed to be a family movie. And this is wow. my thing going back to like the truth, dude, is like, that is not even what don't take the Lord's name in vain means. 
Like, yeah. It's not even about curse words. It's about not manipulating and using God in a way to control people, which is what the church is doing. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I mean, even to this point, dude, I have so much baggage and guilt for being like, oh, what if I get a script? Dude, some of my first scripts that I got, I told my agent, I can't do that because it says, God damn it. I can't be in that. Like, oh, that's like such a it's bummer. still a huge I thing, dude. Like even with Spirit Quest, I mean, so much with Spirit Quest. I mean, this is a movie that is about two guys that do drugs, smoke weed and, you know, go out in the desert. And, and like, dude, this is a movie we would not be allowed to see. This is a movie that would, would my parents that I haven't, they haven't seen and really haven't been able to express and tell them what it is about, you know, because of just because of the superficial aspects of cursing and doing drugs, hallucinogens where, and this is where I just, again, I get so amped up about, all right, that's fine. You want to talk about drugs, but you're not going to talk about the medication that's being prescribed for, you know, depression or oxy, you know, all we're, the prescription pills that are being given to us and you're taking as medicine and you're not able to, you know, look at something else. It's just, it's, it's, we're not able to, I wasn't grown or, or I wasn't, I didn't grow up in a, in a, in a way to, to look at the truth. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so when you start to find out these things, it just becomes, it's like, why, why are you doing this? Why didn't you, why didn't you just tell us this stuff? <laughs> well, once the, uh, once the plugged in online review comes out for your movie, oh, your parents are never going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is so upsetting because I do feel like spirit quest is like a really spiritual movie um where i am like and for me the deconstruction process hasn't been it hasn't been a thing of me that's pushing me further and further away from faith from god from spirituality it's been something that's bringing me so much more uh drawing me so much closer in and like mm-hmm taking over almost uh, almost a real transformational experience which i believe is what the gospel is about um and and like i just that's why i just get so amped up i think about it is like you guys are hiding these things from us and this or or not willing to look at what is true and it's keeping people and it's it's not keeping people to having real faith and experiencing real real presence of God or real connection with people and, and being able to see it's just keeping you. So you make sure you don't curse and then you don't see Mrs. Doubtfire and yeah. you don't have sex before you're married. And I'm just like, dude, this is not what we're here for. Yeah. I think shame is such a big theme in like all of our lives that grew up in that, you know, and, and it's, it's weird because it doesn't necessarily like fall on particular people or anything like that. Always, you know, it's just part of it is just the institution reinforces that shame, you know, and it's tough when you, when you, when you finally come to grips with some of the, with some of the facts that like this, this thing that you've been vocalizing meaning about, you know, like you've been pretending that, these things meant so much to you for so long. And then you actually like take a look at them. You're like, I, I don't think those mean anything to me, you know, but I don't know. I just, I had a lot of, it was really hard for me to not just be like furious over not so much like 
you know, Christianity in general or things like just, but the shame that I felt maybe angry about those things. And it, yeah. it was really hard to like dial that back a little bit, you know, cause I mean, I don't, some cases you should be angry, but I don't want to be angry forever. You know, that only hurts. It only hurts. It's only hurts you. You know what I mean? Like right. keeping that inside. And the same with me, I, I've, I've experienced dude, such anger, uh, and rage, you know, about that. And then I finally feel like it's, I'm getting a little bit towards the other edge and be able to hopefully look at the childhood and, and what I, and understand, like, I also, I also can understand that we have all grown up in a completely different time where information is now so available to us that I'm, I can go and read about first century contextual Christian authorship. You know what I mean? And like, understand that wasn't available to our parents. It wasn't available to their parents. So I, I, there's just so much information now where it, the stuff that we were given as absolutes, it's impossible not to figure out, to, 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 to look at that and say, oh, well, that's not what this is saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can see that's where the control is uh, kind of in the church a little bit is like, because it's not like that information's new. Cause one of the most dumbfounding things of, <clears throat> of, having a faith shift uh, as you're introduced to new information is that people have been talking about this for a long time. And then you get into real church history and you're like, like when you find out for the first time that some people don't believe in hell, and then you find out for the first time that people have been saying that for thousands, 2000 years <laughs> and they've years? just been killed because they're like, ah, no shit. We can't control people without this message. And it's just like fucking ax them. Dude, yeah, like, you, you get into that. You start to find out, like, it, it really, hell and everything we understand is comes from Dante's Inferno in the 14th century? Like, and then it's like in the last 200 years, really, is what Western American, you know, the yeah. apocalypse for sure, like, is all just some lady's vision? Yeah. You start to find out all this information. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. So when you look at our parents, like, what the what information that wasn't given to them, it was like, it wasn't just not given to them. Uh, it was purposely hidden. Yes. Uh, that information in those cultures is is hidden. Uh, and it's yes. not in others. It's it's specific to, you know, your evangelical kind of Christianity. That's not, you know, that's not something brand new for some of your other mainline Protestant traditions. They're just like, yeah, of course. I mean, that's never really been an issue for us. Uh, when you realize that other people don't have those hangups, you get kind of jealous. A yeah. Little bit. I'm just like, what? But, <laughs> uh, first so watching- year at Liberty, they like, you have to take this, it's a one credit hour course. You have to take it two semesters and it meets three times a week for an hour. So it's just a pain in the butt. It's like taking a full-fledged course that you don't get credit for. But it's basically credit, a... Casey. Yeah, one credit. It's, <laughs> it's a worldview class though. And what it is is just a sales pitch on like the liberty interpretation of the Bible doctrine and how that relates to like social issues and things like that and like all of the things we're talking about like they don't go into the details of like other theories on these things they give you the pitch on why theirs is correct and then they teach you the arguments against those ideas you never learn them you never understand them you just know that like evolution is bad you know and here's the reasons why and and don't trust anyone that believes it which is to me the most damaging part of it, dude, because I just, I grew up thinking everyone that didn't believe exactly like me 
you could not trust them and you could not yeah. build a relationship with them. How antithesis of the gospel is that? And, and, you know, like, dude, uh, one of the big things going to next, um, the huge life shift was coming out here to LA and my boss was gay and un- unbelievable guy, amazing guy. Didn't even know he was gay. He's, he's, you know, you would think he was straight. He's just like a huge six, five, looks like he's a football player, funny, like, you know, and then he tells me he's, he's gay and I'm like, whoa, uh, I can't be friends with you. I didn't, in my mind, I didn't say that. Right. But like, I'm just like, this, I gotta, this is exactly, this is my parents told me I'm coming to Hollywood. Here I am. And like, dude, I end up working with this guy and we did a bunch of those reality shows. I love this man as a friend. I became a friend with this person and that started to tear down walls. You, and it's like, we're taught not to do that. We're saying, don't have, don't get too close to these people because they're going to bring you. They're going to bring you. And that is just so detrimental to so many things, but to definitely the message of Jesus, which is like, is like, I can't tell you how much I've learned from him and how much he transitioned my thought into, I can love this guy. And his experiences yeah. are completely different than mine. And the irony being, don't get too close to these people because it can change you. But your end goal, your your the end game for us is to get close enough to change people. Like right. it, you can't. You don't. You can't have it both ways. I think you're. I don't think you. You can. And with with the the uh, evangelical culture that we were brought up in is like, you have to save them. You can't truly love somebody if your goal is to save them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like you view everything. It's Makes like everything the difference between. Yeah, it's like the difference between having a conversation and like waiting to talk to someone. Yes. You know, and yeah, it it just it makes it really hard to have any sort of relationship with somebody who doesn't exactly fit that mold, which is by design. Well, and it's just yeah. so hard now too, because it's like you know, like I, I don't go to church. I haven't gone to church in a really long time. I, um, and, and this was such a, I mean, dude, that was a huge burden and shame. Like it was mandatory to go to church. Like it was not an option. I remember going to college and like, I didn't go to church once and had a phone call. You know what I mean? Be like, you got to get into church. I didn't send you to college to not go to church, you know? So not going to church was such a a huge, uh, uh, or it was a big, a big step for me. Uh, and now I kind of just lost my train of thought on that, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it, 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 uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure where I was going with that actually. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, I, but I, yeah, I mean that, that can be a big step in the way that you break the cycle, right? Where you're, it's, there's such an emphasis put on church. There's such an emphasis put on that being so important. There we go. That breaking that cycle is a big step. That's it. Is the church. Cause that, where else, that was it. Why aren't you going, where else, where are you going to get your community? Where are you going to yep. get your community? And I'm like, I'm like, I have people that I'm having lunch and dinner with in my car that are atheists and I'm having a real relationship. I'm having community with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand, like, I'm having a real relationship with somebody, real community where it's, it does, you know, you go to church and like, I went to church for, you know, 20 years. I never had any real relationships with any of those people at church that I met yeah. in yeah. Sunday school. It was you go there on Sundays and that was it. And then you check it off. You did it. You're good. 
That's all you need to do. There's, there's no, there's no, there's nothing about going deep, go trying like, yeah, going further. I want, I want to, I try and connect a couple of things right now because one of the things we were talking about is like the, the limited information or like the intentional kind of boxing of you know this is evangelical Christianity. This is they, we tell you what it is. You say okay. Uh, we don't really introduce you to a lot of other things. Um, and, and I forget what the the wording you used for it was, but it, it just isn't like a, not to be dismissive of anyone who, I don't know. I don't know who's listening. That still find, like whoever is listening and still finds peace within evangelical Christianity. I don't know. I, I think there is a way to maybe do it right without it being totally awful for you, sure. if that's what you want. Uh, so let me just get that out of the way. Now I'll just say whatever the fuck I want. Uh, it, in a lot of ways, it feels stunted. It's not a, it's not a very mature way of thinking and processing the world that we live in. It's not a lot of nuance to it. Um, and it, I, I want to, so I'm going to look like a dumb dumb right now if I make the wrong connection, but in spirit quest, when you're driving in the car, um, and you're listening to your Franciscan monk, is that, was that Richard Rohr? Yes. Fuck yes. Okay. So I'm bringing it together because one of those, those, so you're probably familiar with this concept then, because one of the things that he talks about in falling upward, which was a huge fucking impact on me. Changed yeah. my life. And it just, cause what it does is it gives language to something that no one's ever given you. It's like learning how to read. It's fucking learning how to read. It's that basic, but it it's not like, cause learning how to read changes your life. And so when I read that book and you hear how it's like, what he talks about like your first stage of life and your second stage of life. It goes from like, everything needs to be in a box. Every, like all the questions need to have answered. Like it, when you can break out of that and just like, that's where the freedom comes. And it's not in, it's, we, we had talked about certainty. It's like, it's, it's not in like certainty. Isn't a, it's comforting when you're young and maybe necessary, but certainty isn't a virtue. It's just not. So holding those like, and that, and that's what he kind of gets at in that book. And I feel like, um, you starting the movie out with, with roar and him being kind of like a popularizer of some of these concepts, uh, especially for people our age who have gone through this faith shift, uh, it really set up what's going on. Like kind of really set up what you were trying to do with the movie. So I'll bring it back to that and ask you how intentional that was. Uh, dude, like I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just because you're, you're the person that got it right. Like it's completely intentional. It it all started with, you know, Richard, Richard Rohr. He's changed my life. Like so many people. And it's exactly what you said. He's teaching people how to read. He's giving, he's giving language to something that I had never heard talked about before. And, and finally I felt like the gospel and the message of Jesus was real. And like, it, it started to be like, and this and this is in the movie too, and it's in the beginning, and this is really the, the impetus of everything. But reading Falling Upward, getting into Richard Rohr's podcast, hearing him talk about the context of the Bible, but that that verse that the homeless guy is holding up in the first the beginning of is Matthew uh, ten fourteen, I think uh, eleven fourteen maybe. But Richard Rohr talks about this. He says, you know, Jesus goes out into the wilderness uh, to face the wild beasts, and and Richard Rohr it, it had talked about how, you know, anthropologists had had discovered that during that time in Israel, there weren't any wild beasts in the desert. 
uh, and that this is metaphorical language that the writer is using, that the metaphor is the desert being that place of, <clears throat> you know, questioning, doubt, fear, anxiety. I mean, it's used a ton. You go to straight to Joseph Campbell. I mean, the desert is always used as that symbol. And so I think hearing him and, and explain that to me for the first time was just so mind-blowing. First one, contextually, it changes how you read the Bible all of a mm -hmm. sudden. I'm just like, wait a minute, there weren't wild beasts. And just the idea that it could mean something else. The thought that the right that for me, that the writer is just a human like me and is writing and is using his imagination to create what is God-inspired in him just changed the way I looked at all of scripture. And that was really the beginning. And so <clears throat> when I started writing the short, I mean, I'm going through all that and it just kind of started, started working, it, working its way in. And this whole idea of embracing the unknown and letting go of these certitudes that were handed down, that it's, it's, that's the key. It's that second half of life transition. It's that's when, you know, we face our shadows the shadow self, as he likes to call it, um, and, and really dive in. And that's what Spirit Quest is. Uh, Spirit Quest is is those two characters doing that. And and mm -hmm. what I was trying to do was, was take an allegorical tale like Pilgrim's Progress, which is so, you know, uniquely evangelical, I feel like. And the the it, it's great. I mean, I love that story. It's so creative and imaginative. But the message is, you do this, you go on this journey, and then you get to the celestial city, which is heaven, and you've done a good job, and you've made it to heaven, and your time on earth is over, and you made it. Good, well done, mm -hmm. good and faithful servant, which I feel like is exactly what was handed down to me with our beliefs. Is like, yeah, like, this is not about this. This is just, it's about, it's about getting there, you know. Um, and so much like a big thing in our, in our house was be there, be there. You know, it's all about getting there and making that personal decision asking Jesus into your heart. That's all you have to do. And then you're going to be there. And that just completely throws away everything that we're here on earth, like all these experiences. Like, so for me, that message in Pilgrim's Progress of getting there is the destination is not what my, I feel like in my heart is my core belief. The destination is this right here. And we mm -hmm. can, the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus talks about, constantly in in the new testament is here is in this moment right now that i'm talking to you and casey uh and, and we can find it and so i think that was really what i was trying to do was subvert this very well-known christian allegorical tale about getting somewhere and subvert that about two guys that are just trying to hopefully by the end of the movie it's related that they're there together as friends smoking a joint for the first time they're really together and they're just being friends and what more i can't imagine a better piece of heaven than really yeah. connecting with a buddy and not being caught up in the past or the future or whatever you know with these these thought cycles and negative negative loops that are constantly inner monologues we have going in our heads yeah I, you know when you and when you talk about being here or like what the kingdom of heaven is like and, and when you refer to it metaphorically it's like that's all we get that's all we get from what jesus says is like little glimpses of like what the kingdom's like through this parable or that parable which people have talked about for centuries and centuries and it's like there's no this is what it is and we were handed this is what it is and 
it's like those stories are telling us what it's like uh, or what it can be if you find glimmers of it or participated in it in any way. So like, I feel like even, you know, that's, I feel like in your own way through spirit quest, that's just, that's your version, your attempt of showing what, what it's like. It's like a continuation of the, the parables and that, and that, in that point of this is what it's like, uh, but that's not how it is or the only way it can be. Yes. Yes. It's like, it's like being sold a false piece. Like peace is the, is is sold to you as like no matter what you know everything that's around you this is temporary it's fleeting none of this matters what counts is that when you die you know where you're going and that's supposed to give you peace and i don't know maybe for some people it does but for most people i think they're like ugh, like you continually tell yourself that you have peace, that you should have peace, that what you feel is not right, right? You haven't, and and that's because you lack faith, right? You you don't believe this in down deep, and that's why you feel uneasy and unfulfilled about what's happening, or you know what what your life is. And at the end of the day, like peace and fulfillment comes from like really just understanding and accepting, like the and enjoying the moment you know like uh it, it makes me think of like at the end when you guys are walking in the desert and you're like you feel that desert sun it feels so nice like that to me like that's as close as it gets right yes it's yes. just like wow this is great i love this i love where we're at like i could just be here forever like that's the kind of peace that you can get and you can get it any time, dude. And and we are the ones that st- we steal it from ourselves. You know, like I, I constantly, you know, I, I suffer from from depression and anxiety. And I think a lot of it is because of these core beliefs that I was given about myself and about the world. Uh, I mean, how, how can you be present when you're constantly thinking, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that or, oh, I shouldn't do this. Or it's just how, how can you ever really turn off your own inner monologue and, and, and those thought loops. It's just impossible dude, to ever, I, I really, I've, I've hardly ever been present in my whole life. Yeah. I understand that. I feel like most of my life I've been waiting to say my piece so I can convince somebody to think the way I do. And I have a lot of regrets, uh, in my college age years about that. I felt like everyone was just like, I don't know, a project or something like that. It's that missionary mindset, right? right. It's that, like, eh, luckily, I only took that to a bunch of drunken white kids in college for the most part, as opposed to, you know, uh, somewhere in Africa where I could have been, tried to instill my beliefs in people and <laughs> kind of yeah. sh- fucked up with their cultural understandings of things and missed the mark completely uh, in a more serious way, which wasn't off my radar. My wife and I did talk about being missionaries for quite a while. So, yeah. Uh, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I don't have those regrets in my life, but uh, it it's not like that couldn't have happened. I, right. One of the things when Casey mentioned the the sun, um, you know, I, I, I feel like that was part of in the middle of the film that there was like, that that was part of the problem too, like the, the desert sun, like the, the discomfort of being stuck out in the middle of the desert and. Yeah. Pur- purposely, pur- purposely putting yourself in discomfort, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is so much about what growth is, you know, uh, you know, the beginning Dracula and the astronaut that kind of represents the shadow self 
and then kind of like the true self. Um, and like you see them kind of fighting against each other later in the movie because it's constantly this battle. And I think one of the other big things that was trying to like relay in a way in Spirit Quest is that we all we're all playing these different versions of ourselves in our lives. And even a more meta version myself directing Spirit Quest, playing a version of myself, Brent, you know, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think like we're all we're all doing it. And a lot of it is his Richard's teachings to, you know, that true self and that connection that it's all one. It's all this. Everything is imbued in the same spirit. You know, it's all the same. You know, all three of us, Tip and I, we're, we're all pretending to be this thing that we're not, which is our identities that we've been given. But the truest self is that we're, we're just we're just this thing that's, that's happening and we're all in it together. And so I think that was what a big, a big part of spirit was, was definitely showing like, that's when you're going through the doorway and, and, and even using, you know, kind of chapter headings from Pilgrim's progress, but like the, the, the interpreter, but going there and that's where you deal, you get to see that kind of friar, that saint side of yourself that you can play, you know, in your life. And then there's also that version of yourself where you're the bandit and, you know, you're robbing and stealing and those things. But those all exist inside of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're constantly playing with those different versions and, and, and trying to figure things out. And, you know, and we're different versions for different people. Um, yeah. One thing I don't want to miss out on before we get out of here is yeah. uh, given, given the fact that this is a, a movie based around two people going in the desert to trip, um, I feel like we haven't we've talked about how you don't really like drinking but let's talk about drugs for a little bit um how did drugs if they did play a role in your deconstruction when did you first start when did you first take that plunge and just so uh, you know your parents are never going to hear this (laughs) (laughs) well i if they ever do see spirit quest i don't think we're gonna have there's not there's gonna be much bigger problems uh but uh no, I mean, I moved out to L.A., you know, 2006, 2007, and medical marijuana was huge already. So this was before it went legal. But, I mean, everybody had – you could just go, you know, to the corner and get a prescription. Guy would come in like, oh, you have neck pain? Great. Here you go. And, <laughs> I, um, and I have so, a prescription there. Yeah, exactly. So, so that was – it's just a huge part. And I remember uh, the first time I smoked weed was um, – on a feature film, my first feature film I did up in Sacramento, it was called Farewell Bender, but I'm brand new, been out in LA for like six months. I'm up working on a movie that another good buddy of mine is directing a similar guy. And it's funny. His first movie was kind of similar, but he grew up a Christian school and did all these things. And he made a rated R movie that was, I think we had 96 F words in it. Like we just went (laughs) totally the other way. Yeah. And, but it had like, it had um, Eddie K. Thomas, who was um, Finch in uh, American Pie. And okay. Kaylee Cuoco was in it from Big Bang Theory. And uh, so, like, you know, some recognizable faces, people on TV, everybody was smoking weed. So that was the first time I smoked weed. It was awesome. And uh, I've found it to be very helpful uh, creatively, uh, also medicinally, anxiety-reducing. Uh, uh, it's been a huge gift to me, but it's also been a huge source of shame and a huge source of like, oh gosh, if man, if people knew that I did this or 
So it's been a, it's been a, but I, I can't tell you, I mean, I've had, I've had mystical experiences smoking weed where things have happened. I felt more connected to God and people and things like things that you can't explain, you know, with, with vocabulary. Um, some of the other drug stuff is, is more based on maybe experiences that people are having in my circle. Um, mm-hmm. But then also too, just this idea of plant medicine and psychedelics, just kind of going back to like the drug culture and being told one thing and being told with certainty, this is for sure going to leave you on heroin. It's going to open the gate and you're going to be a drug addict. And your life is over. Well, now there's all this research coming out about how helpful this plant medicine can be with yeah. depression, uh, post-traumatic stress. I mean, psilocybin is just in California is now being uh, allowed to research I mean, they're seeing unbelievable awesome. results. Like addiction is being uh, eradicated with people. You know, what I mean, like people are addicted for twenty years. They do psilocybin uh, with, and and that's the other thing too is, I don't where I stand on it. I would never be like go and do drugs, but there are studies now and people under the right set and setting with a yes. therapist with a counselor that can be really really helpful. So and, like Ibog- and, Ibogaine, right? Like right, the that's big something. Addiction one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or when we had uh, Benjamin Elcori on, he talked about them doing ke- like ketamine, 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 doses. ketamine and- ayahuasca is another huge thing, and it's just like uh, going back to uh, what we talked about Christianity, and this has been talked about for thousands of years. Same with this plant medicine. This stuff has been used for plant, or has been used for thousands of years. I mean, even there's you know you can get super weird and find you know studies on early Christian first century ceremonies that they found THC and mushrooms, psychedelics. You can find mushrooms in a bunch of uh, religious paintings, first century art, uh, you know, all the way through the Vatican. You can find this stuff. This stuff is not like, oh, brand new. I mean, it's it's thousands of years. (laughs) I love it. I think it's, yeah, I, the shift, I, I, I like what you said. It's not like you, uh, look, if you want to do, do whatever you, whatever you want, I'm not going to tell you not to, but you don't want to like, oh, if you're dealing with depression, you should just go out and do a bunch of shrooms. But there is like, but with the studies that are mm-hmm. happening and the information that's coming out and the way that dosing under certain, the, the right amount of dosing and um, under certain circumstances, maybe through certain guided meditations and things like there is a lot of positive results. and. I'm super excited to see where it goes. Me too. As far as um, tripping in the woods, I've never done shrooms. Uh, it's definitely on my bucket list. Uh, someone asked me once if I had anything on my bucket list and I said no. Uh, and that's not true. It's apparently shrooms because I just said that was on my yeah. bucket list. I think that's a good one. Uh, and, but it, that is, that's one of those things. So like I didn't smoke weed till late and we've talked about it on the podcast a million times, so I won't go into a ton of detail, but I was like, late 20s and it was like with a friend at his apartment just him and i super close friend of mine we just did it watched a couple movies and then i went home and that was it and it was great it was awesome but like it that was that first moment where you realize this shit's not a big deal everything's fine the world didn't start falling apart i still have my wits about me and then now i have to upgrade that's all i'm saying i gotta <laughs> <laughs> or you could just you know keep, just keep smoking weed <laughs> dude i'm curious like you said you weren't allowed to watch rated r movies and stuff what were oh, do you yeah. remember what some of the movies were that you were like 
just just waiting to watch. Oh, dude. As soon as I turned 18, it was right when DVD players came out. I my my grandmother passed away that year. DVD players came out, bought one with the money that she left me with for the inheritance money, and then spent the rest of it on DVDs. That whole first year of college, by yes. the end of college, I you had two destined or three, for Yes. <laughs> I had two or three hundred DVDs by the end of that first year of college. And so the first one I remember, dude, the rock, all of the screams. Scream one, two, and three. That was Um, one of my first radar movies with my dad. I remember sitting down watching that with him. The Matrix. The Matrix was the first movie I saw in theaters. Uh, And uh, gosh, I mean, it's funny that they're. It's like I mean, obviously, what they're gonna do at eighteen, but it's like you're seventeen years old, and I'm like, I'm not allowed to see radar movie. Like you, it's not like, like what? What do your parents really get to say? But that's the hold, like that they have. So. What what was the what was the first rated R movie? You know what's so funny? The first rated R movie, and I had so much guilt about it, but this is so perfect. I saw in fifth grade, I watched Terminator 2, Judgment Day, at yes. my pastor's house <laughs> with his son. Yes. Such so a good movie. I'm not allowed to watch rated R movies at my house. But at my pastor's house, who is preaching to us every Sunday, this is okay for them to watch, and I'm okay to watch it there. With his mom in the other room. Incredible. I love that. That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> I remember at one point my buddy and I, because we, we got to a point where like his mom would rent us rated R movies, like if they didn't have sex in them. Yeah. So like, no I remember like. I couldn't see boobs. Violence, who cared? That's uh, the, so mind blowing. Violence, whatever you want, mm-hmm. have at it. But curse words and any type of sex, sexual situation, no. <laughs> Yeah, your mom and dad just don't want to know that you're sitting next to them with a raging boner in your pants while watching a movie. That makes you feel <laughs> well, that actually, it's that, more about them. It's more actually, about them than it is about <laughs> well, well, you put it that way. And honestly, I'm totally fine with that. Actually, now as a parent, I totally agree. <laughs> my, uh, I've, I have um, a teenager. He's, like, well, he's technically not my foster son anymore because he's 18 and he's out of the system. He's not my foster anymore. But uh, he wanted to watch this show on Netflix. And it's very Game of Thronesy, right? Like, it's a lot of sex, a lot of whatever, and whatever. Like, he can watch whatever the fuck he wants because he's he's like seventeen at a time. He's like, we should. We, we're always trying to find shows to watch together, and he's like, we should watch this. And Jill and I, Marco wife, Polo or something. I forget what it was. It was some fantasy type thing. It was kind of Game of Thronesy, but I like. So I'm looking into it, and my wife and I are just like, I don't. We don't. I mean, watch that all you want, but I'm like, I am. So he, he kept bringing it up and I, eventually I, we're drive, I picked him up from school. We're driving home and he's like, so are we going to watch that show? I was like, look, man, just being honest. I don't want to watch that with you. It's got so much. It's like just got a lot of sex in it. A lot of nudity. Watch it in your own time. I don't want to sit next to you and watch people have sex. Uh, Thermostat's on 75 and you do, have do you to sit to, with the blanket every time. Let's make it make comfortable. Like, I was like, do you want to sit next to me and watch that? And he's like, no, not, uh, not really. I was like, okay, Good. so perfect. We're, uh, we're on the same page here. We'll find something else to watch. I just imagine you guys like on one little Ikea couch, just like touching shoulders. Uh, that's, <laughs> to like, that's basically what I got in my living room. So it's yeah, uh, if, your elbow to elbow. It feels very similar to the experience I had listening to preparing for adolescence. <laughs> oh, I couldn't. Yeah. I, my, 
my heart goes out to you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'll be praying for you. Thank you. Right it's, it's gonna, you might need to do a lot more drugs to get over that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the next quest. I am curious, like one last question. So being that you're such a, like a movie buff and have made your career in that, like what, what are the movies that you're like, whether they're new or old or whatever, that still kind of give you goosebumps and like, just get you excited about movies. Like what are the, what's on that list for you? Oh man, dude, Field of Dreams still really gets me. I love that movie. Another sports movie, Hoosiers. I just watched that recently. And like that basketball was really big in our family. We talked a little earlier. So that was a huge one. Um, dude, the Indiana Jones, Goonies, you know, still really gets me. And then, uh, yeah, I like, uh, I like, I'm trying to think what I've seen recently. You can relate, I'm sure, Sam, but with kids, your, your ability to watch stuff goes, goes down, oh, yeah. <laughs> way down. Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I haven't caught any, any, anything too recent, but you just got, just got episodes of like, uh, uh, blind date on repeat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just keep that flowing here in the light of house. Check out parental control and dismiss. All day. <laughs> well, it, Brad, it's been great talking to you, man. It, yeah, this I'm was so happy we got to meet you. Yeah. You guys too. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. Tell so people every, where, where they can ex, when they can expect Spirit Quest and and where they can watch it. Spirit Quest is coming out October twelfth. Uh, it'll be available everywhere you can rent and buy movies. So Apple, Amazon, Vudu. It'll be on demand. You can get it in libraries. Uh, so I think anywhere you can find movies, it's it's available for pre order right now on Apple and TV and, and iTunes. Um, yeah, and I I hope I hope people can find it. I feel like. People with similar backgrounds with us, I think they'll get a kick out of it. Yeah. So if you grew up Christian, you should go pre-order and help a help a fellow traumatized member of our community out. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Peace.